morning, everybody. Uh, we're about to jump back into Colossians and finish it up today. I think this is about the 16th one, something like that, in the uh, final pieces of chapter 4 is where we're going to land today. Uh, hope you had a good week. Uh, you may notice we've got a pink logo now. Uh, if you've seen that online, you know already, but in honor of Breast Cancer Month and in honor of Tracy Morrow, who we love to death. We love you, girl. We're praying for you. We got your back out here in the desert and uh, yeah we love you uh that's enough of that but we want to jump in the word today and um kind of get involved with what the text says and one thing paul mentions in here is struggling in prayer and and that's where i hope uh we are with you tracy we want you to know that we are struggling for you as a church and as your family out here in prayer for you so anyway let's get in the word um Colossians chapter 4, again, we are following the same theme of chapter 3, verse 3, that says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Um, sitting on top of knowing who you are as a theme, but uh, or a title in the theme. But as we get in here to this last little piece, we'll pull together uh, all the moving parts and wrap it all up and tie it up real nice and pretty. So if you got a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Um, <clears throat> we'll pick up from there. Again, I know I keep pausing. We're going to read it in a second. But again, uh, this is not church. This is me reading a text and then us studying it or me unpacking it for you. And then tonight we'll study it together and talk through it as a church here in our home. And we would love for you to come if you want to come. There's the information there in front of you where you can hit us up on social media or email or whatever else. And uh, let, we'll tell you how to find us. Love for you to come hang out with us. We're in Tempe, Arizona. And um, especially if you're in the East Valley, you're right over in our neighborhood. So anyway, all right, here we go. Enough stalling around. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 says, excuse me, says, um, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, Greet you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you might stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in uh, Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to all the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the house of the Laodiceans, and see that, or the church of the Laodiceans, excuse me, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see uh, that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for another day to sit in it and read it and study it and be encouraged by it, Lord, to be convicted by it. God, I, I pray as we study it today that you're glorified in what you said and that I never steal glory from you, that I'm never seen as what Dave said or what Dave thought. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that it's always what you think, what you thought, what you know, what you say, who you are, that we come away from this with, that we don't remember Fancy illustrations or pretty stories, but we, we remember your word and who you are, Lord. Myself included, of course. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
I've got a little tickle in my throat or something. I'm sorry I keep coughing. I'm sure it's making the mic pop, but you know, that's what it is what it is. Sorry. Um, you ever look at the stars, like lay out at the stars and just get overwhelmed by the, the immensity of space? If you ever get a chance to go to the Grand Canyon, we're in Arizona here, so, uh, but if you ever get a chance to go to the Grand Canyon, you ought to stay at least until after dark. It is crazy how many stars you can see. It's a, it's a natural or national dark park, meaning that there's uh, no light pollution. So you can see so many stars. You can see the Milky Way come over. I mean, just millions of them materialize right in front of your face. <clears throat> and it's almost a bit overwhelming at the, at the how small it makes you feel. And, I, you know, so many people these days look to the stars for some sense of meaning, for, you know, we want to know what's out there, what's out there. It's like the sense of being so small makes you desire some some life uh, that's beyond us, something that's bigger, something that we feel like we're a little bitty tiny part of it creates this desire in us to to want to be part of something bigger and that there must be more life out there because we're we're so small in comparison and, and of course that life is always smarter faster bigger and stronger but <laughs> but anyway uh, not to get off on that tangent but just just the fact that being feeling so small makes you desire to be part of something bigger and the cool thing about Christ is in Christ that's exactly what we have not like that we're connected to other worlds but that we are connected with each other in a spiritual kingdom that's even larger than creation itself because our king is the creator so that makes us part of this vast, huge kingdom across time, across uh, you know distance. As believers in Tempe, Arizona, part of Metro Phoenix in Arizona, also in Wyoming, California, Nebraska, New York, Georgia, Tennessee, California, Birmingham, England, Dublin, Ireland, uh, Casablanca, Morocco, uh, you know, Jerusalem, Johannesburg, Tehran, Cairo, Moscow, Baghdad, Hong Kong, Honolulu. We're all connected. And in 2020, all the way back to 60 AD and back on from there, we're connected across time. As believers, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. It's awesome. And, and that's kind of where we're going to conclude today about how knowing who you are kind of concludes here around being part of something that's bigger. Okay? And this is something that whether Paul intended it or not here, I think, it's very evident in the conclusion to his letter here to the Colossians. Uh, he reminds them that other churches around them how they are supposed to share their lives with these guys. And ultimately, even God's word, together, they're supposed to be sharing their lives because they are part of something bigger. And I, and I think we need to be reminded of this, that we're not the only believers in God's kingdom. Whether you're in Tempe or Tennessee, we're, we're not the only believers in God's kingdom. We have family in other places, sister churches. And as part of something bigger... We should be an encouragement to each other. And we should consider how we can share the burden of ministry with each other. 
All right, that's where we're going to land today. So here's some different ways you can do that. And this is how I'm going to pull this apart. Paul's closing here uh, through prayers, through your position, basically your job, what you do through your position or your skills, through your resources, the things that you have, through your ministry. Yes, you have a ministry through your chains. And we'll come to that when we get there. But start out just by thinking, have you already committed yourself to serving others in ministry or in your church or however, in, in any of these particular areas. You've already committed to that. All right. Are you doing it still? Are you doing it now? If you haven't, then ask God, which one of these can I start with and how? Ask him, like right now. Take two seconds and say it. Um, so let's go in here with prayers, first of all. Uh, where is it? Chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras, he says, who is one of you, uh, a servant, or there's that word slave again, we talked about that already, of Christ Jesus greets you. Um, Epaphras was at the beginning of the study in chapter 1, verse 7. We already talked about him. I'm not going back into that. Likely he's the one who planted the church of Colossians that Paul is writing this letter to. But at this time, Epaphras is with Paul in Rome while Paul's in prison. And Paul calls him a slave, just like Paul is a slave, but I'm not going back into that. We already talked about that with Paul a few weeks ago. You can go back and listen to it. So that's who he is. But he goes on to say he's always struggling. That struggle word is fight, basically. He's always fighting, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you might stand mature and fully assured in all the word of God. For I bear him witness, or I can testify for him. Paul is saying, I can test, I can sign my name. Remember, we talked about you signing Jesus' name here. Paul is saying, I will sign my name to the fact that he's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Uh, but here, what Paul's saying is wild that he is struggling in prayer for them. He's in Rome. He could be with Paul. He could be doing his own thing with Paul. He could be focused on spreading the gospel in Paul and, and, and I mean, in Paul. In Rome and have left behind uh, Colossae. But no, he's struggling for them in prayer. What do you imagine that prayer looks like? Fighting, struggling. Would you want that kind of prayer? That kind of prayer you want somebody to do for you? You know? What about when you're facing life-threatening times? We talked about... Tracy, before we got started here, we love. What, what about when you're facing life-threatening times? What about maybe it's one of your children that's facing a life-threatening situation? You want somebody to go on Facebook and post praying hands? <laughs> or do you want somebody who is called a slave to Christ to struggle or fight in prayer for you? I mean, that's obvious, but that's the guy I want. You know what I'm saying? And if you're, if you want that person in your life, my first question is, are you that person? Before you want somebody else to do it to you, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying before you want somebody else for that purpose, do you do that? Is that something that somebody would describe you as? Are you that person? Because remember, we are part of something bigger. We should be struggling for others in prayer, and they should be struggling for us in prayer. But look at what he's struggling for. Not healing or money or any of those. Look what he's asking them or what his struggle is, what he wants to see happen. That you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. Man, look at those words in there. Stand 
mature, fully assured, all the will of God. Man, would you like those things to describe you? Somebody would use those things to talk about who you are? Man, how would you like to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God's will was for your life? Mature in your faith, completely certain of it, enough to stand without a doubt on your decisions. That's what he's praying for. Also notice Epaphras prays for sister churches here in neighbor cities. To talk about Laodicea, he's, he's committed to them just the same because they're all part of something bigger. All right, the kingdom of God, something that's bigger than just them. Look at uh, position. So that's prayer, position. We're going to go through these quick. Position, verse 14. Uh, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. So one of the most powerful ways to reach people is through the medical field. And there's lots of things, even in the secular world, there's doctors without borders. There's all kinds of things that, that happen in order to try to serve mankind. But in the medical, I mean, in a uh, missional field, as believers, there's awesome power in that. I remember being in Ukraine and seeing um, these small little villages that have a little neighboring church somewhere that would come in and they would set up, uh, they, we, would, we would go help and we would hire a eye doctor. And the eye doctor would let people come and she or he would do free eye clinics where he'd give them, you know, look at their eyes medically and, and do that, give them the eye tests and all that stuff. And then provide, we provide them with glasses. And they would leave with these huge smiles to have somebody care for them in that way and help them see better. And then that would open the door for the little village church there to do more ministry in the community. So Paul here, he mentions Luke specifically as the beloved physician. I mean, he's purposefully identifying him in a sense of what his skill is, what his position is in, at work, so to speak. And I can only imagine that he got that title because of his missional heart. He's not just Dr. Luke. Doesn't just say Dr. Luke. It says Luke, the beloved physician. Also, uh, remember here that Paul himself was the equivalent in Jewish terms of a high, high PhD and royal blood in Jewish terms. That's Paul. And yet, both Paul and Luke here are serving the people with their skill rather than trying to market their skill in order to bank as much as they can. They're not just going to church on Sunday, giving 10% and trying to make as much as they can during the week. They're giving 100% all the time because they are part of something bigger and they're giving it to serve. What can you give? Am I saying don't, get, don't, don't go make money? No, I'm not saying all that. All I'm saying is, what can you give? What is it that God's gifted you to do? What do you do for a living? What can you give? How can you use your job skills or your education to serve your church? Remember, he's talking about serving each other as believers here. So to serve your church and then to serve the community as well. What can you do? Demas and Luke must have been close because they're always mentioned together by Paul. In Timothy and in Philemon, he mentions them both again together. But unlike with Mark, where we already read, where Paul and Mark had reconciled, they had this fallen out. We read this last week. 
but they had clearly reconciled because of the way Paul talks about him now and in Timothy. Here, the opposite happens with Demas. Paul seems to be positive about him here, but later in Timothy, we read this, 2 Timothy 4.10, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cratians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Lucas alone, Luke alone is with me. Uh, that's what we read last week. Um, but you can see that Demas has gone. Luke was a doctor. He was a writer. Uh, he was a historian because he wrote, obviously, his gospel, Luke, but he also wrote Acts recording the travels of the apostles. If he loved the world like Demas, Demas did, he could be a very, very wealthy man. Doctor, historian, author. You know, I think perhaps that's the greatest enemy of the Christian faith. And maybe maybe it is, I don't know. But love of the world. Love of the things in the world. Your position in the world. Your stuff in the world. Uh... And likely our words say something different. Our words probably say that's not the case. Our words probably say, or our lack of words, <laughs> you know, probably say one thing. <clears throat> but our actions may say something totally different. What do you love more than your, listen to me, opportunity? Opportunity for ministry. You may say, well, I don't have ministry. Well, you have opportunity, I promise. We'll get to that. I promise. So what do you love more than the opportunity that you have to do ministry? Why don't you really think about that question? I've been wrestling with that one all week and asking myself this. What do you love more than your opportunity at ministry? All right? Maybe it's not a physical thing. Jesus said the Pharisees love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Maybe it's that. Just saying like in the Matrix movie, and I'm not going all back into that. If you've seen it, you know. If you haven't, you can skip this part. But in the Matrix movie, you know, there's a scene where there's this one dude who wants to go back into the Matrix because he says ignorance is bliss. And it's basically like this dude would rather be in a lie that brought him pleasure than to face reality if it's not self-satisfying. Think about that a minute. Would rather be inside a lie that brought him pleasure than face reality if it wasn't self-satisfying. You're part of something bigger. You're part of something bigger. And that means that your love for the world should not outweigh your desire for God's kingdom. Your love for the world should not outweigh your desire to see God's kingdom grow. And so your position in the world should be something you're using to serve others and see God's kingdom grow. So position, resources. Let's look at that one. Uh, verse 15. Give my greetings. That's in a Hebrew sense. That's blessings. Give my blessings to uh, the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha. And I love this. The church in her house. Well, that hits home because that's where we that's how we do it right here. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Some believe that letter is uh, the book we call Ephesians, the letter to Ephesus that was circling around some of the other churches. Perhaps it was at Laodicea at the time. And Paul's saying, make sure you get that one and read it, too. 
Um, Storyline here is a little confusing the way that that comes out. It looks like, just to clarify, it looks like verse 15 is saying, Paul's saying, give greetings or encouragement to those in Laodicea, uh, specifically Nympha and her church, which is the Laodicean church. That's what it looks like. And in the second, verse 16, he's saying this letter, so give my greetings there, but also this letter to the Colossians, make sure it gets read there also in that same church, in that same place. So, um, And from that point, they were supposed to also bring back the letter from Laodicea and make sure it got back over and, and they read it. If that was Ephesians, fine. If it was something else, it is what it is. But aren't you glad that Paul made sure that the churches shared this letter? Aren't you glad that Paul made sure that the churches shared these letters, that it was read in sister churches, because guess what? That's exactly what we're doing now. You realize that? That's exactly what we're doing right now, 2,000 years later. We're reading the same letter, the same letter that he said, when you read it, send it to the the Laodicean church, Nympha in her home, send it there. We're now studying his same letter, the same letter in our home, in 2020, in Tempe, Arizona. That's mind-blowing. How different most churches look today from that. And I'm not going to get on this long. I'm not harping on this. But how different churches look today from that. Afraid to, to, to cooperate. Afraid to work together that they're going to lose members. Or that people are going to... Uh, take their money and their support or whatever and go someplace. It's like a competition. How big is your church? How much attendance is in your church? I'm, I'm not going to keep going. You get the point. It's such a different picture of sharing together. Um, even God's word, literally. Nympha, we don't know much about her, really know nothing about her other than she hosted this church in her home. It doesn't mean that she's the pastor. It, it, it just means that she made the home available to this body of, belie- of believers that no doubt she was part of. Um, and again, I think it's beautiful. We're in the same heritage. We're doing the same thing. Our church is in our home. Molly, my wife, has made her home available for us to have church in. And I do say that because it's her home. Molly Wiley has made her home available to have this church. Um, I love too that it says the church is in her house. Notice it says in her house. Notice it says of the Laodicean. It says in the church. Read it in the church of the Laodiceans. What's my point? Well, Paul's saying a physical location. We're all real fast to throw that out the door and just say the church is just believers everywhere. No, there's both. Uh, believers everywhere are part of the body globally, but there is an importance to the local church. He is talking about the people, but he's saying those people in a, gathered in a specific place. The local church has always been the plan. If you weren't there, you didn't hear it read. If you weren't there, you didn't hear it read. It didn't, Paul doesn't say it's going to go to all these individuals. Um, he didn't go to nonprofits. He didn't go to parachurch ministries. I'm not hating on them. I'm just making a point here. It went to a church. It was read in the church. And then it was delivered to another physical church. Local assemblies of believers who are assembled. A local 
assembly of believers who are assembled. Even the word church means assembly, which denotes a physical location for that to occur in. All right. Now, that being said, the elaborateness of that location is clearly completely unimportant. (laughs) The people who are gathered are who make it church. Yes. The assembled body of Christ. So, yeah, the elaborateness of the the location is is another whole thing. But have you ever thought about to wrap that one up? Have you ever thought about what you can what you have now, what you have now that you can share with others who are in ministry together, others in your church? What do you have now that you can share with others in your church? Uh, or with your church as a whole. What are the, you know, can you start a small group in your home? Could you open your home to a small group? Do you have food that you could share with somebody who's in the hospital, this part of your church? What do you have that you can share? What are the resources at your disposal that you can make available? Some, again, you are part of something bigger. We all are. That means, guess what? Our resources are also a part of something bigger. Uh, ministry. Let's get this one in. Verse 17. And say uh, to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. There's a couple of ways to get into ministry. Um, the two most uh, direct ways, I guess, is one, one, you go to seminary, you decide you want to be in ministry, so you go to seminary, you get a degree, you put out resumes. Um, and then hopefully you find a church job, church hires you, that's that. Another way is God will not let you escape doing it. <laughs> God will not let you escape being in ministry, regardless of whether you have seminary or no seminary, uh, regardless of whether you have a paid job or no paid job, God will not let you escape doing it. That would be what we call a calling. Um, and the sad truth is that so many people who are truly called that way end up abandoning it for any number of reasons. Um, some just use it for selfish gain, stay with it, but try to make a buck at it. And then there's others who simply just get lazy with it. They keep doing it, but they're in no uh, it's a job now, and I'm doing what I do, and I'm just keeping on. Archippus here is mentioned in Philemon as well, but some say he's just a young preacher in Colossae. We don't really know. But the idea here that Paul's getting at is that he's perhaps settled down or started taking things too easily. He's just kind of become chill, or he's quit pushing to see ministry happen. We don't really know. We could be a disciplinary statement here from Paul, but more likely it's meant to encourage him in the right direction, to push him the right way. Uh, isn't it cool that Paul, in this letter that we call Scripture, it didn't not call, it is Scripture now, but that this letter that Paul would single out this one guy. Not this, I don't think in a negative way. I might be wrong, but I don't think in a negative way. I think he's more in an encouraging way. Um, if you're in ministry... This same thing should be in your face as well. Make sure you fulfill what you receive from God. He gave something to you. He entrusted something to you. Make sure you fulfill it. Work it all the way to the finish. And guess what? If you're a disciple of Christ, period, you have received ministry. Hello. 
this thing on. I can't knock on that screen. <laughs> if you have received, or excuse me, if you are a disciple of Christ, which means a Christian, you have received ministry. It's for all believers. Make sure you fulfill it. Where do I get that from? I can give you a number of places, but we'll look at two really fast. Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Anyone in Christ, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us, all of us, to himself and gave us, all of us, the anyone who's in Christ here, he gave us, anyone in Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. We've received it. He gave it to us. That is, what does that mean, Paul? Well, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He's giving us the message. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. We represent him. That doesn't mean we just look like him in a positive way. Look what he says that means. Making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us. So God should be appealing to the world through you. Therefore, he doesn't say therefore, but it could be there because that's the point. Because of that, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You might call that evangelism. That would definitely be something you have received from the Lord, a ministry you have received from the Lord. Believer, on whatever level you are as a believer, it doesn't matter. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation, and you have received this ministry of sharing the gospel, of compelling people to come to Christ. Not only that, Jesus himself, you know this very well, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. That's Jesus saying, make disciples, go into the world, make disciples, teach them all that I've taught you. I mean... Those are things that you have received, responsibilities and ministry that you, on any level as a Christian, have received. All right? If you're not ready to do that yet, then you need to be getting ready. What are you doing to get to that place? What's your plan to start making that happen? Because it's your responsibility. You received it. Just as Paul told Archippus, fulfill the ministry that you received, you fulfill that ministry that God's given to you. Why? Because we're all part of something bigger. Look at the last one here, chains, verse 15, or 18, I'm sorry. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Basically, what he's saying, Luke probably wrote the letter for Paul. Is that because he's in chains? I don't know. But either way, Luke probably wrote this letter dictated, you know, by Paul. And then here in the end, Paul is signing it, basically making clear that it is, in fact, from me. Just as we would sign our name on something to affirm that it is us. So then he says, remember my chains, grace be with you. Um, In asking them to remember his chains, he's actually offering them the opportunity to share his chains. Um, For instance, Hebrews 13.3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Remember as though you're there. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body, we're in this together. We're part of something bigger. So, you know, I'm not trying to, I don't want to try to take what Paul says when he says, remember my chains. I'm not going to try and take that and turn that into saying, oh, what are your chains? 
you know, your job or your bills or your whatever. What are your chains? No, 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 no. This is not about first world struggles. This is about prison, iron shackles on your wrists or your ankles or both because of what you believe. Those are the chains that we're talking about. Now, you may not be able to share those chains because you don't have them wherever you are. I know I don't have them where I'm at. So maybe rather than you taking the chains on you and sharing them with other people since you don't have them, maybe this is about you sharing someone else's chains who does have them. All right? Now, basically what I mean there is spiritually aligning yourself with them. Well, first of all, you got to know who them are. So that means you're going to need to learn about those who are being persecuted. You're going to need to learn who they are. You've got brothers and sisters around this world who are in chains right now, who are facing persecution. There are many avenues to find that out without names necessarily, but to understand better where these things are happening. Some places you can find names. But aligning yourself with them spiritually and struggling for them in prayer. Write them a letter if you can, just as Paul's writing a letter here. Paul then does this really cool thing. He always closes his uh, books or his letters. We call them books. They were letters for him. He always closes his letters with grace. Something if you study the life of Paul, he was never over grace. He never got over it. It was in everything because his spiritual chains were far greater and heavier than his physical ones. Understand what I'm saying? Paul's spiritual chains were far heavier than his physical ones. What if we remembered our spiritual chains and the grace that set us free? What if every day you start out by remembering the physical chain or the spiritual chains that God set you free from by grace alone? Would that change the way that you lived your day? Uh, Ironside wrote, we began with talking about Colossians. He says it began with grace. We're kept by grace and it is grace that will bring us home at last. Talking about the book of Colossians, but salvation itself that we begin with grace. We're kept by grace and it is grace that will bring us home. What would the kingdom of God in Arizona look like? If comfort was not our greatest concern, but Christ was. What would the kingdom of God look like in Tennessee if comfort was not your greatest concern, but Christ was? What would it look like in the United States, in uh, Iran, if comfort was not our greatest concern, but Christ was? You know, you're part of something bigger as a believer. You are part of something bigger. Learn to share the burden of ministry through these things we talked about. Prayers, your position or your job or what you do, through your resources, the things you have, through your ministry, which we just determined we all have one, uh, through your chains. You may not have chains, but through the chains of others and the way you can align with them and serve them. Knowing who you are as a believer. Okay, we've been talking about knowing who you are the whole time. Knowing who you are as a believer. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And you are part, therefore, of something bigger than you. One of the things about being a Christian that gets overlooked is the unity that comes with it. Too many times the world sees this division, but there's a unity in the body of Christ. 
And Jesus made that possible by uniting us into him. No matter where we are in the world, no matter what time period we live in, we are united into him and his kingdom. You know what? If you want that family, if you want people that you don't have that, you want people that will pray for you, that will struggle for you. You want people that will share their position with you. They will share their possessions and their stuff with you. You want that family. You don't have it. You want that. Then I got one simple question for you. One simple question. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He identified himself as the path to the Lord, to heaven. He also said, I am the resurrection and the life. He went to a Roman cross, nailed and died there for our sins. He was buried Three days later, he came out of the grave. Not, oh, shocker. He said he was going to. That was his plan from the start because we can't. He did it in order to conquer death, our greatest enemy, due to sin. And he said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die spiritually, eternal, eternal life that comes in living and believing in him. Then he asked the one question, do you believe this? Same question I'm asking you. Do you believe that? If you do, tell him, Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I'm yours. Take my sin. Nail it to the cross. Give me the life that only you could give. I want to live it. I want to live my life in you. As part of something bigger. Tell them that man. And then tell us you said it. Tell us who you are now. Because we're family. And we want to connect with you. And I don't care where you are in the world. If you're already part of the family. Listen you need to know. That you belong to Jesus. Right now. You are his. If you're in the family right now. You are his already. Not working towards it one day. It's who you are now. You are accepted You are loved. You are part of him. You are part of something bigger. And everything you have then belongs to his kingdom. Make sure you don't fall in love with the world more than you love him. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Colossians. What a great study. It's been amazing. I pray, Lord, that you help us continue to wrestle with it for the rest of our lives and then even into eternity because your word stands forever. And uh, I thank you for that. I'm excited about that. You are so amazing. I pray, God, that you're glorified in the things that come out of your word. Uh, and, and God, help us be able to share your word responsibly with others. Help us share ministry, Lord. Help us be servants and keep us from falling in love with the world. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.